and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everybody. I feel like the fact that we've had to be flexible already feels quite poignant. Um, so the video at the beginning, can we have a little bit of house light? Because I'd just like to see everybody's faces. Hi. Um, the video we had earlier on was from Shrek. I don't know if you've all seen Shrek. It's quite old now. It's a bit vintage, isn't it? I always think one of these modern movies is <laughs> years ago. Uh, that came to mind because... Uh, I've had a story in my head this week, which is a story you might know, which is about a talking donkey. Do you know the story of the talking donkey? Yeah. Me and you, Georgia, we got this. So uh, the story of the talking donkey is about a guy called Balaam, uh, and he had been told to go in a certain direction. There's a certain direction he was meant to be heading in. Um, but there was an angel stood in the way in this story, had a sword. Now, the donkey was more switched on than Balaam. The donkey saw the angel and was like, no way, I'm going that way. That is not the way to go. That is the wrong direction. But Balaam was smacking his donkey. And he's like, come on, what's wrong with you? You need to be going in this way. And ba uh, the Balaam's ass turns around and starts talking to Balaam. Says, why are you hitting me? Which must have shocked Balaam a little bit. Uh, the reason I say that is because it's been in my head that sometimes we're maybe selective about where we will find inspiration, direction, and truth. Um, so the question comes to us, would we be willing to listen to a talking donkey, even if this morning that talking donkey is me? <laughs> okay, I want to tell you about uh, a story that's come back into my mind that's something that happened about a year ago, just over a year ago. Um, I had been thinking about this phrase, living stones. It's a phrase that some of you might be familiar with. It's been going round and round my head about this idea of living stones. Uh, it's a phrase from a passage in the Bible, which I'll look at in a second. Um, but I was Googling this phrase and discovered that there are actually plants called living stones. Some of you might remember me telling this story before, but it just felt like it came back to me recently and I felt like it might be appropriate. These are living stones. I've actually got some at home in the bathroom. Uh, they look like stones, but they're actually not. They're little succulent plants. Uh, so I'd been Googling them, and I'd said to Amy, it's really weird, there's actually these things called living stones that exist. Uh, and then Kev sent an article through to me that was about some baobab trees. If you look on the wall over here, you might have seen before, we have baobab trees on the wall. They are distinctive because they have these massive trunks, and they've been significant for us because the understanding of wisdom cannot be defined by one person. It takes a whole community of people, and the African proverb is that it takes a whole community of people to embrace a baobab tree, just like it does for us to embrace wisdom. 
So they were significant for us. But the article Kev sent through was about the oldest baobab trees that, in the world that they estimate are somewhere between a few hundred and a few thousand years old. So these trees have seen some stuff. And they fell over. And they fell over, I think, 2016. And Kev had sent me this article. The baobab trees were called the Chapman baobabs. And it felt quite poignant because it was... We had just found out that Anth and Chris Chapman, if you aren't familiar and you're, you're a guest today, uh, had been leading this community for 30 years, and we'd come to the end of an era, and it was just weird that this article had about these Chapman baobabs that had clearly come to the end of an era. But it got weirder, because the, one of the first people that ever discovered these baobabs and documented them was called Dr. Livingstone, and he was documented in this article. That kind of hit me. I was like, this is really weird. You know when stuff comes to you repeatedly, it's almost like it's trying to get your attention? Um, maybe that's worth paying attention to. So I then uh, was, had living stones bouncing around my head. What does any of this mean? Uh, Amy went to a garden centre. Amy's my wife, if you don't know. And I quite like the colour orange. And she found a pot that was orange. And so she was like, oh, Daniel like that. So she picked up the pot. And this is what was inside the pot seeds for Livingstone plants. It's just weird, isn't it? Now, I don't understand why that happens or how that happens or what that means, but it definitely got my attention. And so uh, I want to just highlight the verse where it comes from. It's from a letter that a guy called Peter wrote, and he wrote this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen and precious in God's sight, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So, what's distinctive about living stones as opposed to bricks and rocks? Well, they're alive. That's the first thing. So, what does it mean for us to be alive? I think it means that we are flexible. I think it means we're connected to something that's flowing through us. Claire's talked a lot about flow recently and being connected to something that's moving and flowing rather than just rigid, static things. Ant talked in the past about how the difference between things that are living stones and bricks are bricks have right angles. They're all made of right angles. And I think we can stop being alive living stones when we get hung up on whether we have the right angle or whether somebody else has the right angle on life. Are you catching what I'm talking about here? If we want to build a community that is effective, then maybe it requires us to be living stones rather than just having the right angle. And if you're familiar with the story in Genesis about these two trees, there was one that was the tree of life living stones. And there was the other one was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which has a definite ring of right angles. And the instruction in the story was, eat as much of the life one as you want, don't go near the other one. The one that's all about knowing good and evil, right and wrong, everything mapped out, you've got the right angle, that's what's going to kill you, and that's what's going to kill your communities. Um, does anyone ever go to Nando's? So if you go to Nando's, you may be familiar with Perry Sauce. Does anyone like Perry Sauce? It's got a bit of a spice, a bit of kick, a bit of life in it. Uh, there's a, uh, Jesus one day said, I have come that you might have life. And I looked at that word this week because it caught my attention. The word life is Perry Sauce, which I thought, every time you have Nando's, think, am, am I engaging in an abundant form of life or am I separating, or am I kind of settling for something that isn't abundant, overflowing, engaging. Now, last week, Joel, uh, Joel referenced something. I think it was Jordan Peterson you were talking about. Where he said it was in, um, a situation where he was talking to someone, and he said, okay, I know what your organization thinks. I know what your political movement might think, but what do you think? And I think a significant part of being alive, living stones, is actually knowing 
what you think as an individual, which is a big challenge when you're trying to build a community out of individuals that are all fluid and flexible. Okay. Um, do you know, I'm actually going to drop that golden thread song because um, I'm conscious of time. Um, yeah, so I, I just think I'm going to focus more on this than the, the song. So um, I want to show you a video now. Um, the, the, the lyric in the song that was significant um, says, in all we've been through, rise and fall, you never left us through it all. Um, and I, last Sunday I saw this video, which is of an artist called Lauren Hill. Is anyone familiar with Lauren Hill? So she, she, um, she was in a band called the Fugees in kind of the 90s. She's a singer and a hip-hop artist and a rapper. She's one of probably the most significant, especially female rappers, Ever, that's ever existed, um, and she brought out her first album in 1998, and it won five Grammys. It was immediately hugely successful. It was called The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which is important because she references that. Um, but two years after having made this album, she hadn't made another one. And this, uh, this is her talking uh, to a group of young people. She's talking about why she didn't immediately go and make a second one. Um, and for some reason, it just... It hit me like a ton of bricks, and I feel like there's some things that might be worth looking at in it that might be relevant for us as well. So let's watch this, and then we'll have some comments on it. Now, you might watch that and think, what? What does any of that mean? Um, this image may help a little bit. Uh, we often have a plan of what is next in our life, or what we might want. Rob spoke recently about the idea of liminal spaces and what is next. And when you're aiming for what is next, we think like, oh yeah, there's what's next. I'll just, I'll just get there. Reality is a little different, isn't it? For any of you that have had experiences, whether it is, I don't know, becoming a parent, or whether it is having a dream, and I was thinking this week about how a number of us in here had dreams of what we wanted to do. I had a dream to create a kids club about 20 years ago. I had the image in my head of what I wanted to do. And we pulled the team together and lots of people helped me along the way. And I took their ideas and sometimes claimed them as my own. Um, <laughs> but we did something, and we created something, and we went up a hill, and we did something really cool. And it helps lots of people. And then that came to an end. We came down the hill. And I think since then, if I'm being honest, for me, some of what resonated in that is that I feel like oh, I haven't had my next thing yet. And I feel like sometimes in the valley or coming down the hill, you, you can think, oh, well, I want to stay up there. I want to be where everything felt like it made sense and everything felt like I had it, you know, but I don't think life is like that. And I think that's good that life isn't like that because I think where you, where you learn sometimes the lessons that help you get up the next hill is when you're coming down the previous one and, and sometimes you don't always learn everything when you're up here. You think you got it all. I think maybe for us, some of what we need to learn for whatever hour next mountain be, might be, whatever our next is, it's important not to rush into that maybe, but to learn the lessons in the meantime. Um, Joel had a vision for a dance academy and conquered a mountain, and we did some incredible stuff over the years. But then the dance academy has come to an end, and then it's like, what's next? And Beth had a vision for Urban Rev, and we created this youth thing that touched loads of lives and was brilliant. And it was a mountain, but then we come down the other side. What's next? 
I think the mountains can be achievements, but I think they can also be other things. I think they can be, ah, I suddenly get it. I understand. I have had a revelation of something, uh, and this really helps me because I understand it, and I've got this new way of thinking about the world. But if you always stay at that point, then you'll never move on to anything new. Um, I think something that's significant for me as well within this, and I think a lot of us, is a lot of us grew up in church, then we questioned a lot of the stuff that was the stuff we grew up with, because it was like, oh, I don't know if that works and fits anymore. Is it really good news? Is it really something that's going to help me? Is it just made up fantasy stuff? Do you know what I mean? So we've questioned a lot of that stuff. But I think it's very easy to then concrete in the questions and then not be helped by, for example, if we reference something from an ancient book like the Bible and we aren't then open that maybe that Bible could be the donkey talking to us, then we might miss out on what the next thing is if we're so set on what our previous revelation was. Does that make sense? I think what our mountains might be are those things that we think, I've got this, I've conquered it, I've achieved it, I've understood it, or I've even rejected that, found freedom. So I'm never going back to that, but we might need to be open to the fact that it might not have been the form that was the thing, but it might have been a journey that we need to move on from. I found another quote this week that I thought might help with this. If there are no ups and downs in your life, it means you are dead. <laughs> that might be helpful if you're having a down at some point this week. Because I think we, and I, I'm very aware that it, there's a very similar message in this to when I spoke previously about wintering and seasons. You have that same cycle of you have summer, and we would love it to always be summer. But I've been on holiday to places where it's kind of always summer, and I kind of like the fact that in England we have rainy days, because it means you get beautiful green scenery and not just rocky volcanoes, you know. It's, there's something beautiful about the cycles. Jenny uh, spoke recently about how there were different pictures of what we as a community might become. Do you remember the ships that Kev had drawn? Um, and it was like, what would the icebreaker of Kew become in the future? And one of them was a Kew theme park. Um, which I don't know what your understanding of that would be, but in my image, it's that we get stuck with a previous revelation of, we've understood this thing, and now we're going to just build a thing around that. I think what's important is the spirit and the culture of what we are as a community is not necessarily the conclusions we came to, but the drive underneath it to find those answers and search for that truth and have that quest. Because otherwise, we can get stuck in the detail and the form, and it's not about the detail and the form. It's about the spirit that's going on underneath it. Are you with me? Yes. Good. Uh, Jenny also talked. I'm, not, I'm kind of referencing lots of bits here, but I think they've, they're things that kind of piece together. Um, Jenny referenced, I think it was Easter Sunday, when she talked about the bird called Faithful. And the bird called Faithful was in the nest. And they're like, I can't leave the nest because I'm faithful. Um, but then adventure came calling and was like, let's go on an adventure. And it's like, no, I need to stay faithful in the nest. Um, and it turns out that actually faithful, that home was not the name of the nest, home was the name of the song, the spirit underneath, that actually wherever you go and operate and however, whatever this looks like in the future, it's the song and the thing that's going on and the drive underneath the surface, the real spirit of the thing that is what we talk about, the sound of cue, that's the thing, it's that unction underneath it that's driving us forward with a different spirit. So, 
What was your mountain? What was your previous mountain? And are you still up there? Are you coming down the other side? Are you in the valley? I had that verse in my head that I think is from a psalm where it says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I think it's easy to fear that bit down there and think, this is bad, this is wrong, I need to get out of this and feel good all the time or conquer something all the time. I think it's in those valley experiences that something starts to happen in us where we then look up and go, yeah, that's what I want. But I don't know whether we can rush that. I think sometimes it's like, why haven't you got a vision already? You should have a vision already. Lauren Hill said a thing in that. She said, sometimes everybody's looking for the next thing, but sometimes the next thing has to find you. It has to be something that grabs you. Um, and I think that's starting to happen. I think there, and I believe, I think for me, part of what faith is, is it might look out and think, well, there's not many of us here today. But I think faith says, but I think there's a next. And I believe that there's a thing that's going to inspire us for something new. This was cool. I had some cool interactions with people this week. Um, I came into a practice and I'd forgotten something. Um, and so Connor and I ended up having a 10-minute conversation. And I showed him that video. And what came to mind for Connor was Back to the Future. He said, the first Back to the Future movie, they spent 10 years or so like really refining the content and the story. Um, and they made an amazing movie. But what then happens, it's like, we've got to make a sequel. <laughs> you know, we've got to sustain this franchise. We've got to keep the thing alive and going. Um, and he was saying that actually some of the greatest movie franchises, take Harry Potter, for example, the writing and the thought and the, the journey had happened way before. So there wasn't a we need to sustain the franchise because the actual story and the, the spirit of the thing was already there. I think sometimes it's easy to think, we need to rush into the what's next. Um, I remember when Jenny took the reins of Q, it's over a year ago now, isn't it? That that very first week, what you said was, um, there's a corner coming and we've got to make a turn. And if any of you drive, you know you don't want to take corners too fast. Um, and it's important to actually navigate that corner and if I'm honest, I think we're doing really well so far. I think we've done a good job. But actually, it's easy to then think, no, foot on the gas, you've got to just get there already. But I think there's wisdom in waiting and actually taking a time to organically go through that learning curve. Because I think we're making a sequel, but I think it's important that that isn't rushed. Okay, um, Joel and Hannah uh, talked a little bit about direction last week. Um, Hannah is Jewish, and she's talking about how the word Torah means direction, and it's kind of like a picture of an arrow. Um, and the image we'd put with that was you mentioned about geese, wasn't it? And we'd had a thing in the past about how geese, you know, when you see them fly, they fly in an arrow formation. Um, and the way that works is that one takes the lead, and the others follow, but it isn't just the same one <laughs> at the head for the time. There are points where the other one's like, okay, well, you're getting a bit tired, I'm going to jump in, and then they keep forming that thing. But what's significant in it and what had come to mind for me is we used to talk about the honking. Do you remember the honking? The reason geese honk, they say, is because they're saying, like, come on, like, keep going, because it takes some effort to be the one at the front who's doing that. Um, it's very easy to criticize leaders, whether it's in the context of a community or even politically, it's very easy to look at the person who's at the front and point out everything that they're doing wrong. 
What about if we use the oxygen in our lungs to do some encouragement and to do some honking? So be, feel free to give people honks this week as, as the geese in that triangle because the direction is important and that person at the front is setting that direction. So that encouragement is hugely important. We are going to sing a song now which is all about those ups and downs and about how there's always going to be another mountain and it's not about how fast we get there or what's waiting on the other side. It's actually about the climb and the process of it. Um, okay, let's do this. Interestingly, just before, <clears throat> as Danny was speaking then, I was thinking about um, the scripture in Ecclesiastes that says life is like a corkscrew um, that can't be straightened out. Interestingly, Ecclesiastes is a book that I always avoided. Um, and the last three years, I've found that it's been something that I've really understood. Um, mainly, as Danny was saying, when you're struggling to navigate and are confused by everything that you're presented with, you can understand the writer, what they were trying to convey. And I think sometimes we want to try and pretty everything up and parcel it and package it so beautifully. When the truth is, that's not how, that's not how life is. And <clears throat> I remember Ant spoke on this quite a lot over the years. Why do you need a corkscrew? Because you can't get into wine without a corkscrew. And what is wine? Wine is living, wine is breathing. Um, that's where the life is. Um, and I think it's interesting that if we try and straighten out our lives to look so perfect, we're never going to access the, the life within the wine. Um, you know, and I use wine as a metaphor, but you understand what I'm saying, right? That we we're trying to access the life. And I think that the more we embrace those twists and turns and complexities, I think the more we embrace life in its raw form, which is exactly why we're here. So hope that encourages. <clears throat> I found that really funny when I stumbled upon that this week because I thought you could replace jazz with lots of things, couldn't you? You could put, what is church? And you probably could have played the same thing and edited it out could have said, what is life? What is faith? Maybe even what is God, Christianity? For lots of different ones of us, I guess that human experience might be that golden thread going through it all. Um, so, what is jazz? The, the reason I have brought this, for those of you who don't know who I am, maybe a guest today, uh, I'm a musician and about 10 years ago, my wife Amy bought me a saxophone. And it started this journey uh, of me exploring the whole world of jazz. Um, I decided that uh, it might not be a good idea just to teach myself, so I found um, a man who was suggested called Ricardo Alvarez, who I always think has got a great name, Ricardo Alvarez. So he's my teacher, and he's Chilean, and he was at York University doing a PhD in jazz, which would have made him a doctor of jazz, <laughs> which I always thought sounded quite cool. Uh, but he has been a great teacher for me, and he has taught me about what is jazz a little bit. Um, and I think... The reason I'm talking about this is because I think there's a really cool parallel within what is Q and what we are doing. Um, so Ricardo taught me about the pioneers of jazz. And the pioneering spirit is something we've talked about a lot in the past. People like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Dexter Gordon, Charlie Parker, Duke Ellington. These were people who had a repertoire of music that they were familiar with. But they didn't just stick with the thing they were familiar with. They wanted to engage with it. They wanted to reinterpret it. So they would take the songs from Broadway musicals or from musical movies, and they would take the tunes, and they would be like, oh, we can do something with that. So they would take the melody, um, and maybe they'd play the melody through once, but they'd maybe change the rhythm a little bit. So 
they would maybe have some notes a little bit earlier, some a little bit later, they'd maybe make it swing a little bit. And then what happens when jazz musicians get together and jam is they will play the tune, and then each member of the band gets to reinterpret that sound and that song. So the saxophone player might step forward, and they'll do their bop, everyone else listens to their interpretation. When they're interpreting it, one of the things you do in jazz is you quote things from other songs. So say you're into, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a song now. Happy birthday is the only thing that comes in my head when I'm stood up here for some reason. <laughs> but say it's someone's birthday and you're playing a jazz jam and you're doing like... And then you might go somewhere different. So quotation is another big part of what jazz is. Um, and that's because people find it familiar. Even when I said happy birthday, you were all like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that, because something in your brain connects to the things you're familiar with. Um, what they did was a reimag reimagining something that already existed. And they didn't just replay songs, they wanted to reform them. And that word reform has been in my head this week. Um, when we look at the Enneagram, there is uh, different types of personalities that that exist and have been analysed, and one of them is called a perfectionist, and we've got some perfectionists in here. But um, I think the word perfectionist can be um, not the complete picture of what that personality is, because uh, I'm married to an Enneagram One, and what I'm aware of is that the other name for a perfectionist is a reformer. And I think what is brilliant about that kind of personality is they're willing to go, why are we doing that? Why can't we change that? That can be better. And I think that spirit is really important. Um, so yeah, in that community, each, each member got to reinterpret it. So maybe like the sax player, he's done his bit, and then the bass player's like, I want to go, and then they reinterpret it. And then the drummer's like, I want to go, so they then drum in, and they do their bit. So there's part of that community where each person's voice gets to reinterpret the story. Can you see a little parallel in there? <laughs> but what's interesting about jazz is this. It started out with a freedom of expression. These guys took songs they already knew, and, say, and they would say, OK, well, let's do that song. Say there's one called Autumn Leaves. They took an old song that was very straight called Autumn Leaves, and they made it into a jazz song. But as time went by, they created this collection of jazz songs. It kind of became a, a repertoire of the ones, ah, yeah, if you play jazz, you play those songs. Um, that repertoire then became a canon. And we've talked about canon of scripture recently. That means basically all the different letters and parts of uh, letters, books, that then became part of what is called the Bible. Because all these jazz songs got put together, and they became what is called jazz standards. Now, I went to a jam night once um, for playing jazz. There's all these jazz musicians. And someone was like, oh, should we do um, a Guns N' Roses song? And this guy turned around and he's like, that's not jazz. That's not jazz. It's not part of the jazz canon repertoire. We only play these songs. Only these songs are jazz. Um, but uh, what this guy was getting at, he said, yeah, but you can take anything and you can, you can make that spirit of what jazz is, of reinterpreting it, finding the nuance in that, taking that little bit, reworking it, reforming it. Um, that's what the spirit of jazz is. It didn't matter what the form was or the content was. And I love that because I think part of why I've shown a Lauren Hill clip this morning and why we showed um, 
a talking donkey at the beginning, and why we just did a Miley Cyrus song, is because you can take anything and find the truth in it and celebrate that thing and then talk about that and discuss it. It's fascinating because when, we, when Christians often read the Bible, um, it's like, well, I believe it because it's in the Bible. If we actually look at what this book is, the Bible literally means a library of books. It's a collection of books. I don't think anyone in it set out going, I'm going to start a religion, and this one day will be quoted in buildings across the world. Uh, these were young guys, mostly, who were like, I've had this experience. I've, I've had a revelation. I've realized something. I need to write it to those guys over there because they need to know about it. So they had this spontaneous. And when they do it, they do this quotation. So they'd be like, and that kind of feels like it links into that old bit of Torah scripture somewhere. So I'm going to quote that and put that in here. And that's going to be part of this song and this letter that I am writing. But you see what happens. Just like in jazz, the inspiration become, became this repertoire, that became this library, that became this canon, that became this Bible, that became this, you can't, you can't do jazz if you're not this thing. The same has happened with the Bible. These young guys who spontaneously caught something that was like, oh, this could really change things. We write a letter, it becomes a repertoire, it becomes a library, it becomes a canon, it becomes a religion. Then it's like, it's not true if it's not in those letters. That's not the spirit of what it was birthed in. Something new is happening in jazz, and it's quite cool. Because there is a whole generation of people, probably my generation, who I don't really relate to 1930s, 40s, and 50s Broadway musicals and movies. I could do. I could find some stuff in there. But it's not really my, my heritage. It's not really my upbringing. For a lot of people, it's not the thing that they relate to and resonate with. What they relate to and resonate with is computer games. So, Super Mario Kart, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, Zelda, all of these computer games for over the last 30 or 40 years that have happened since computer games have become a thing. Now, when you can play computer games, you'll know that there are tunes going on in the background. And when those tunes are going on in the background, people are taking that music in, that's creating a soundtrack for their fun times. But it's not just the fun times, because some people have built relationships on the computer games that they've played. That's been their repertoire. And there's a, a band I've been listening to recently called, that are called the 8-Bit Big Band. And what they do is they are making jazz interpretations of computer game music. And this has become this kind of revolution in the jazz world, where this band actually won a Grammy a couple of years ago for creating computer game jazz. And there are jazz jam sessions happening in New York City where people are taking the Super Mario theme and they're like, ah, oh, let's play around with this tune. It really got me thinking, I think maybe part of what next is for us, maybe part of what our next mountain might be, is finding the new repertoire. Because I was at a wedding yesterday. Amy said to me, it's probably not a good idea you doing a talk the day after a wedding. And when I got in at 2.30 this morning, I thought, yeah, probably isn't. <laughs> but it, maybe have, it might have been a good idea, actually, because the experience it gave me was having a lot of conversations around the table with lots of different people who, if I'd quoted a Bible verse at them, it might not have communicated that core spirit that is the thing that inspires me. It's the reason I'm here this morning is because of that thing. You know, that spirit of life that is the thing that sustains everything, I believe. And it's, it's, the, 
It's the spirit and it's the sound of cue. It's the, the spirit that says, I want, I want to find what is real and true. Now that might have been relevant for some people at some point in time, but I believe there is a new repertoire for us to be open to, to say, that spirit of, let's call it God, that spirit of God can be found all over the place and can inspire us from the mouth of a donkey or from computer game music or from wherever you might find a story, from the people you're meeting, from the people maybe you don't like and you disagree with. I think part of our spirit is being open to that. Rob spoke on Easter Sunday about stepping out of the walled garden of belief. And I think whatever is the new thing for us is going to require us to maybe... If you want to use Bible language, they talked about having a new wineskin for new wine. They used to carry their wine. We're on the wine trail today, aren't we? They used to carry their wine in like skins, um, but those skins would get manky after a while, and they would, they would start to fail. They would literally start to crack because they were getting old. So they'd have to have something new to put the new wine in. I think whatever the next is for us, it requires us to have maybe that new carrier, that new repertoire, that new way of talking about this life that is within us all. So does following Christ mean believing things that were written about people that lived thousands of years ago, or can we have a new experience of that today? Do you know what makes me really sad is sometimes when we are talking about our faith and we say that we've had incredible experiences that have happened through that faith, I think that's brilliant. But then we say, when were they? And we say, well, they were 50 years ago or 40 years ago. I, that makes me sad because I think it's got to be real now. Like I want to have a faith that is active and real and inspiring me on a day-to-day basis because of all the interactions I'm having with people, not something that was real because of something that happened to me years ago. So is that life experience flowing through us now or is it just something that was relevant back then? So what is jazz? Well, we've explored what is that. I think that question could be applied for us in a number of different areas though. What is Church. If we were going to reimagine what church is, is it the form? Is it a building? Is it the pews? Is it the music and the songs? Is it the content that we talk about? Or is, it, is there a spirit of a thing underneath it? It's, it's hard to define what is jazz. I mean, all those people all had a different answer, didn't they? And I think that, is, again, is another significant part of being living stones, is being willing to say, we need all of those different perspectives in order to frame what this thing is. And it's hard to define what church is. What is worship? That was a question that came up when we were chatting in the back. Do we still worship? I would say we've been worshiping all morning today. We might not have sung a song where you put your hands in the air or did some actions that you might have used to do in a worship time. But I believe worship is about what you value and what you put first in your life. So maybe the way that you engage with a thing is what the worship is, because it's about giving worth to a thing. It's about presenting your everyday living rather than just having a moment where you sing some songs. But that might be helpful as well. Okay, to wrap up. We've talked about how there were letters that were written by these inspired people thousands of years ago, and they then became this repertoire. And they, it changed the world, these people, and the ideas that they had. Um, but I believe there is another mountain for us to climb that is going to be a different expression of that same spirit. I want to read one of those letters because I think it presents an interesting conclusion. 2 Corinthians 3.3, this guy Paul, who, by the way, was a mass murderer. Can I just drop that in? I don't know whether that helps you be more open to this content. 
And I don't say that with any disrespect. I say it actually because for me it makes it incredibly relevant. I think sometimes we deify people from the Bible and we call them like Saint Paul because we think that they were somehow superior. This guy was, had a very real life where he went around ordering the murder of all sorts of Christians before he then had a revelation that was like, actually, I've found something. And I think it's important to remember that when we read this stuff because we, we then see it as a very real thing and not a fantasaical thing, you know? So he wrote this letter. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read, not just looking at you, by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives, and we publish it. His letter authorizes us to help carry out this new plan of action. The plan wasn't written out with ink on paper, with pages and pages of legal footnotes killing your spirit. It's written with spirit on spirit, his life on our lives. What I love about that is the fact that it's like, he wasn't saying, our revelation and what is true is defined by the letters that I'm writing and my friends right now are writing. He was saying, you guys are a letter. Like your life is a letter to the, every person that you meet. So what is that letter saying? That's a question worth considering this week. If someone was to read the letter of your life, what are they getting? What message are they getting? What would you like them to get in that letter? So we have a heritage. And our heritage is not just things that were written down. It's a whole load of people that lived authentic lives and had an authentic experience that took them to highs but also documented their lows. And in all of that, they had this quest for truth. And that is what Q is all about. It's that spirit of having a quest to find the real core goodness and that golden thread that's in everything. So are we going to get stuck in a previous experience of faith that we might have had in the past, in the good old days, or are we going to have one now? And when we think about what's next, Maybe to be ready for what's next, we have to become what next requires, which may mean letting go of some of the old stuff and being made new. I feel a song coming on. So as we sing this song, if we've talked about what is worship, if worship is something that is significant for you, then I would invite you to engage with this as, as a moment to like commit to letting go of old, things that were old, and they might have been good things, but maybe for whatever is new, we need to let go of what is old so that our hands are ready to grab what is new and have a new experience of that life, love, faith, and that divine today. Thank you for listening, and I hope that has helped a bit. All right. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>